And welcome to another episode of The Central Word, a podcast ministry of Central Baptist Church, Texarkana, Arkansas. Today's episode is from the morning message of December the 4th and is preached by Brother Mike Silvey. We pray this message brings you encouragement as you walk with our Savior this week. Here now is Mike Silvey preaching from Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55. An American household was preparing for the Christmas holiday, but there was no joy in the house. It was the household of famous American poet Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. And the reason why there was no joy in the house is because months earlier, a tragedy had struck. Henry's wife, Fanny, was in the house during the summertime with the kids, and she was attempting to uh, preserve in wax some of the kids' uh, curls that she had just cut. And these, this sealing wax that she melted with a candle fell on her dress. And just then a summer breeze gusted through the window, ignited the little embers, and she burst into flames. In a panic, she tried to protect the children, ran to the next room where Henry was. He made all attempts to put the fire out with a, with a rug, but no, to no avail. Finally, he just wrapped her in his arms, se- severely burning his face, arms, and hands. The next day, Fanny Longfellow died. Too ill from his burns, Henry could not attend the funeral. If that wasn't bad enough, the day of the funeral was the day of their 18th wedding anniversary. Longfellow wrote on that first Christmas after Fanny's death, how inexpressibly sad are all holidays. A year after the incident, he wrote, I can make no record of these days. Better leave them wrapped in silence. Maybe someday God will give me peace. During that time of our history, you know the Civil War was going on and Henry's oldest son was in the war. And a year after all of these events, he received word that his son was severely wounded in the war. That year, the third year, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, the man that was so good with words, entered nothing into his personal diary. He had lost his faith. He had lost his Christmas spirit. And Maybe there's someone here today that uh, can relate to that. You know, it's the time of year everyone's supposed to be joyful and we're all bright and glowing. But sometimes it may just not be there on the inside. We lost our Christmas spirit. Sometimes it's because of disappointments or hurts or losses and work their way into our life. And we know we should be joyful and we know we should be confident, but life is just taking it out of us. If that's you, then the Word of God has a message for you this morning. I think Mary, the mother of Jesus, could sympathize with those who had a faith-challenged 
Christmas. Because that very first Christmas, uh, that's exactly what it was for her. She was a young girl who was about to be married, and all she was thinking about was her future, her home, uh, everything that was coming, and all of a sudden inside, in, in her door walks this mysterious figure who said he was uh, an angel sent from God with a message that she was going to have a son and that she would conceive and bear a son, and he would be the son of God, and he would be the promised Messiah. And Mary, scholars tell us that young girls in that day and time were married from age 15 to 16 typically, and so uh, Mary probably was about 14 or 15 at that time. Imagine this young girl who, who had all this laid upon her, and now she's being told that, uh, you know, for all she knew, nothing was going to happen like she planned. And she had the weight of the world coming down on her shoulders at Christmas time. She could relate to a faith-challenged Christmas. And that's why it's so amazing when we come to Luke chapter 1, we have a hymn of faith from Mary, beginning in verse 46. It's her expression of faith. She was a, a person who had the weight of the world coming down upon her, but she was able to find faith, a Christmas faith that, that we can follow as a model today. And so I want to talk to you this morning about a merry Christmas, not merry as in happy, joyful, we need to have that, but merry as in her name, M-A-R-Y, to have the same kind of faith that she did, because she was challenged as well. And in this song, this great expression of faith, we, we have Mary's faith, and there are four elements that I see here to a merry Christmas. And the first one is magnifying the Lord. How did Mary spend that, spend that first Christmas? She spent it magnifying the Lord. Look at verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. For he has regarded the lowly state of his hand maid servant. For behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. So four pillars to a uh, strong faith at Christmas time begins with number one with magnifying his salvation. That's what Mary was doing. Now notice that it was personal with Mary. She said, he's my savior. Mary was no patron saint who demanded worship. She was a lowly maidservant, she called herself. And she confessed that she needed to be saved, that Mother Mary was a sinner who needed a savior. If Mary needed a savior, you and I need a savior. And so it was personal with her. And she is talking about her salvation, her salvation experience as she realized that and believed that this baby that was coming would indeed be her Savior. But it was also a priority with her. She, had, she did not allow everything else that was swirling around her, bringing her down to set the, the priority. 
Now, in the midst of all of that, she looked beyond that and she magnified the Lord's salvation as she saw it unfolding around her. You know, that's what we're called to do as well, to magnify the Lord. Psalm 40, verse 16, said it this way, Let all those who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let such as love your salvation say continually, The Lord be magnified. You know what a magnifying glass does? It makes things bigger. It makes things clearer. It brings into focus all the details. And at Christmas time, we should be magnifying the Lord's salvation, as Brother Corey was talking about earlier. That all of the, his coming had so much to do with everything else that would follow. The fact that we have salvation today. So we magnify that through our words, through our attitudes, through our confession of faith our prayers, through our belief in all of the ups and downs of life, that the right will prevail, that light will overcome the darkness, and the light that's come into this world will one day reign over all, and one day everyone's going to celebrate Christmas, and everybody's going to recognize how great it is. It's our duty and our privilege today to recognize it and to magnify it before the world. And if Mary could do it, you and I can as well. I noticed that Mary focused on at least three things about the Lord's salvation in this, this psalm that she sang. She said his salvation, verse 49, is mighty, it is great, and it is holy. See that? The Lord's salvation is mighty. How do we magnify the Lord's salvation? We, we proclaim it as mighty before the world. That he who has come into this world as a baby is the mighty one who can conquer all things. He came into this world to conquer sin, hell, and the grave, and he came as a baby at first to do it. What might there is in the Lord's salvation. She said it was great. The word great means to be prepared on a grand scale and and Christmas and the nativity story and all we have to, to celebrate and, and bring out on display, it, it shows the grandeur of the Lord's salvation. From the angel's song to the silent night to the prophecies that were given to the shepherds that gathered, the wise men that came, all the grandeur of this Christmas story shows that his salvation indeed is great. And Mary was magnifying that before others. And she said it was holy. As it unfolded around her, she says that the, the salvation that the Lord's bringing, it's beautiful and it's reverent. It's flawless. And as we magnify the Lord's salvation to the world, that's what we should picture. That's what we should present. Even though we're not holy, we're not perfect, we're not flawless, He is. And we're always shining light on Him. Because He indeed is mighty and great and holy. So that's how Mary did it. She magnified the Lord's salvation. Let's think about that as we go to all the stores to shop and we make all the the uh, events, and we, we do everything we do at this time of the year. Along the way, we need to look for those opportunities to magnify the Lord's salvation. 
Well, Mary was magnifying, and secondly, she was also rejoicing. She was rejoicing in his love, verses 50 through 52. When uh, Mary says in verse 50, and his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation, she was quoting scripture. This is actually a direct quote from Psalm 103, verse 17. And then everything else she says in those following verses about the Lord's mercy or his, his loving kindness uh, come from different other Old Testament scriptures. So Mother Mary knew her Bible. She was a young woman of faith. And the Lord knew that she was one that he could use. And here she's rejoicing in that love and that mercy. The word mercy here is, it means love. It's an Old Testament word that's used uh, 247 times in the Old Testament, and it, it basically means God's unconditional love. You know, we've heard the word in the New Testament for love, agape, which come into our English language. We name churches after it. We, learn, we name ministries after it. Because it, it so pictures God's great love for us. Well, the Old Testament has a word just like that. And in the Hebrew, it's this word that's translated mercy. It's the word kesed, C-H-E-S-E-D. And it's the same as agape in the New Testament. It means God's unconditional love. That's why Mary quotes this verse that says, His love, His loving kindness, His unconditional love is from generation to generation. It never runs out. It's forever. And she was rejoicing in that love because it was that love that caused that angel to walk through her door. It was that love that caused the message to come to her. It was that love that was bringing the Messiah into the world. And yeah, that caused a lot of problems for Mary. What would everybody think? What's my family going to think? What's Joseph going to think? But she knew what God thought. And that was enough. And she was rejoicing in his love. We need to rejoice in his unconditional love for us at this time of year. Christmas is a display of the Lord's love. And as Mary displays it here, verses 51 and 52, she talks about how it is a strengthening love. He has shown strength with his arm. It is a purifying love. He has scattered the proud. That is the ungodly, the unholy. He scattered them in the imagination of their hearts. And it is a exalting love. Verse 52, he has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. That's what love does. Love strengthens. If you want to love somebody else, you do things to help make them stronger, to make them better. And God was loving us as he came into the world as he did, and Mary recognized that. Love purifies. Love cleanses. And if you want to love somebody else, you need to be a purifying influence in their life. That's what God was in our life. And that's what he was displaying here as he came into the world at Christmas time. And if you want to show love to someone, you've been exalting influence. You lift up others. Jesus was loving us and how he came. Mary saw the love. In the humble, lowly circumstances in which he came, she saw his love. 
have you ever heard, did you, have you ever realized that Jesus could have come a different way? That there was actually a great palace right down the road from where he was born? Herod, the king at that time, had built a, a, a palace that he could get away to very quickly. It was just three miles south of Bethlehem. And it was kind of like his uh, summer getaway or his retreat fortress in case things got kind of hot and heavy back in town. He could get out there real quick. But it's still there today. You can go see it. They've excavated it. It's called Herodium. And it's a great palace fortress that had all kinds of gardens. It had a dining hall. It had luxury baths. It even had a swimming pool that could accommodate a full-size boat. This three miles away from Bethlehem. That's the distance from this church address to the post office downtown. Very close. But yet Jesus chose to come to that little, little lowly stable, an out-of-the-way place. Nobody else wanted to be. The Bible says, though he was rich, Yet he became poor for our sakes. He loves us. And he was showing that great love and how he came. And Mary was recognizing that. And that, that love is what carried Mary through. And that love is what will carry you and me through all of our difficult days. And allow us to shine with the light of Christmas. This is what Mary was doing. She was magnifying the Lord. She was rejoicing in his love. And then verse 53 shows us that she was enjoying his gifts. Another ribbon on the bow of Mary's faith. She was enjoying the gifts of the Lord. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he has sent away empty. And so here's how you have a Merry Christmas. You enjoy the, the Lord's gifts. And Christmas time is a time for gifts. There's nothing wrong with that. We ought to want to give gifts to show uh, this is a special time. And the, the, the Lord's gifts are, number one, for, first and foremost, the gift of his only begotten son. And then it is the spiritual things that come with him. As Romans chapter 8, verse 32 says, He who, deliver, he who gave us his son... He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? So he gave us the son, but then along with him he gave us all things, great spiritual things, good things that Mary was talking about here. There will be a part of the celebration. You know, we live in a commercialized culture. And what the world's trying to get us to do is make it all about the material stuff. And we've got to continue to fight against that and to keep Christmas focused on the spiritual, not the material. So there's nothing wrong with giving gifts, but we need to keep the focus where it needs to be. Because as Mary says in verse 53, if your focus is just on the material, like the rich focus on the material, you're going to be sent away empty. It's not about the material. But if you focus on the spiritual... Then you'll be filled. Hungrier filled with good things. So keep Christmas about God's gifts. 
for heaven's sake, do not load up your credit card with all kinds of things you can't afford just to buy it for people that 10 days from there are going to put that aside and 10 years from that they're not going to remember what you gave them. Amen. Keep it on the spiritual, upon the sun and the spiritual things that it brings in their life. And then you can really enjoy the gifts. You don't have to regret them all year long every time the statement comes through. The Lord has given us so many good gifts. The gift of his son. The gift of spiritual things along with him that have not left us empty. And so the truth of Christmas is that while we may not have all that we want at this time of the year, we've got all that we need through his gifts. We need to enjoy them. That's what Mary was doing. Then finally, I see her faith was expressed as in the last verse she she was saying that she was trusting in the Lord's help. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. Now the King James Version shows us that there's a special word in this verse. The King James Version says he hath hoping his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. We don't use that word hoping anymore. What does it mean? Hoping means to help, but in, in addition to that, it means to hold, to hold dear. And it's kind of like this. You know, when you have people over your house, and uh, especially at this time of the year, maybe you uh, reminisce about things, and you show people some special things around your house, and maybe you've got that antique that's been passed down from generation to generation in your house, and at this time of the year, you'll, you'll go over there to the shelf, and maybe you'll... You'll get it off the shelf and hand it to, to the family member and tell them the story about this thing. It's so special to the family. But sometimes, despite our best efforts in the exchange of hand it to someone else, they might fumble it and it falls to the ground. And maybe sometimes, you, because it's so special to you, you reach down just in the nick of time and you grab it and you save it. And you hold it dear and you go, oh, I'm so glad that didn't break. Great-grandma would have never forgot, forgiven me if I would have done that. That's hoping. It means to reach down to someone that needs help. And it's so special to you that you just cherish that thing. Mary was recognizing something. She was saying at this time, with what's happening, with the Messiah coming in this world, at Christmas time, it is... The eternal God reaching down his hand from heaven and reaching down to a lost humanity and sin. And he's helping us. He is drawing us to himself. As the Lord says, I give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish. But they shall have eternal life and no one shall snatch them out of my father's hands. Psalm 139 says, with his right hand he holds us, and with the other hand he leads us. That's how we're going through life right here. He's holding us dear to himself because he's a helper. And Hebrews chapter 4 and 5 shows us that the helper that came at Christmas time reigns upon high, and he is seated there at the right hand of the majesty on high, sympathizing with sufferers and sinners. And he's asking us and allowing us to come to him boldly through his throne of grace where we, we might find grace to help 
There's that word again, to help in time of need. You've got help today with your eternal need and with your everyday needs. I think maybe it's the everyday needs that really drag us down more often at this time of the year. It's those things we can't fix. It's those things that we wake up every day facing. Those can become burdens that can rob us of our faith at Christmas time. Psalm, Psalm 31 verse 7 says, He helps us with our everyday needs. For you have considered my trouble. You have known my soul and adversities. Therefore, I will be glad and rejoice in your mercy. If it's the everyday things that are getting you down, you need to remember what the angel told Mary. It's in this chapter, not far from our text. Verse 37, For with God, nothing, the eternal and the everyday, nothing, shall be impossible. There's help. The helper has come from heaven and he is in our world and hopefully he's in your heart. If he's in your heart, you've got reason to rejoice and to trust. That helper was with the Longfellow family so many years ago. I know I left you hanging about the story. Let's finish it up and you'll have the, the message. For three long years after Fanny's death, the family lived in grief and turmoil. But then the Christmas of 1864, things changed. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow was walking down the road at Christmas time and he heard Christmas bells ringing. And in that moment, God reached down from heaven and touched him and turned him and opened his heart again. And Henry found his faith again. It was because of the Christmas bells. He wrote a poem called Christmas Bells and that became the basis for the hymn that we sing today, the Christmas carol, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. And here's what Henry wrote. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair I bowed my head, there is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep, God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail. With peace on earth, goodwill to men. Till ringing, singing on its way, the world revolved from night to day. A voice, a chime, a chant sublime, a peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in that moment, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow found his faith again. And he began to magnify the Lord and rejoice. And he began to enjoy and he began to trust again. Do you need help today? The Lord is near 
He's come into this world. They call him Emmanuel, God with us. He came into this world not just to give us a hand up, but to get into trouble with us, to become sin for us. He who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. He wants to be your Savior. If you've never accepted him, he's asking you to trust him today. To trust means you let somebody else do it. You admit, I can't do it. Faith is forsaking all, I trust him. And at Christmas time, we had this wonderful picture about how only he can be our savior. He's the only one who's in that manger. He's the only one that grew up and became a savior. And he's the only one that hung on a cross. As we bow our heads this morning, I want to ask you, do you know him as your Savior? Thank you for listening to this episode of The Central Word. Our prayer is that this episode builds you up in your faith as you walk daily with our Savior. May God bless you in this week to come. Thank you again for listening.